The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. The sermon today is Biblical Stewardship, Part 3. Normally, the routine is we'll be going through a a book of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter or paragraph by paragraph. Uh, We did that most recently with the book of Revelation. We will resume that. But we believed it was the elders in an elder meeting maybe seven months ago or so. The seven of us were, we'd been in discussion about things, and one of our elders actually, uh, just a basic diagnosis of where our body is at right now, just felt that we needed to keep going back to the basics of Christian doctrine and Christian disciplines, because there's a constant influx of people into the body of Christ. We have people moving out of the area, but we also have God bringing new people. New people. So new believers or or new folks that uh, have a different kind of teaching background than our church for whatever reason. And many of these people become members. And so our our members need to be on the same page theologically with the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And so you have to constantly, as a shepherd, be going back to the basics. And so that was sensed by the elders several months ago. And so it was recommended that one of the areas of Christian discipline that we need to review from a biblical point of view is, is stewardship. Not, not just money. That's one-dimensional. It's Stewardship is the big umbrella. And under stewardship, you have money, and you have other related matters. So that's what we're talking about. So this is a three-part series on biblical stewardship. And I think that was a great suggestion. And we will always be circling back to the fundamentals of the faith, basic Christian disciplines. So I trust that you have been edified in the last two weeks. If you were here, actually the last three weeks, when Derek, Pastor Derek began this series, part one of biblical stewardship, I was blessed. I heard the sermon live, and then I, listened, I watched it two times, two more times on YouTube. Incredibly encouraging. Then JR, same thing. I watched it live, and then I watched it two more times on YouTube. If you're a member of this church, you're a member of CBC, and you haven't, you didn't hear the sermons live, or you haven't seen them yet, you need to, if you're a member. Very important. Because they laid the groundwork for what I'm teaching today. I'm, I am assuming, based on today, that you are caught up and have heard uh, those two sermons. Now, if you haven't, and you're visiting or whatever, that's okay. You'll, you'll understand where I'm going. But to get the fullness of what I'm talking about today... Those are prerequisites, and that was intentional. JR and uh, Derek, we've been talking for months about it, and we, we planned a big-picture strategy of what we wanted to do. And I didn't give them any, really, a whole lot of directions. I just said, teach out of the Bible. I didn't even have to say that, because I knew they would. And so I, I didn't micromanage, and I just said, uh, here's a theme. Just see how, pray about it and see how God leads, and... Here's the theme, see how God, and then when you two are done, I'm going to wrap it up. And their job was to lay the theological groundwork and the the unshakable biblical principles regarding biblical stewardship. My job, purposefully, is to fill in the holes, but primarily emphasize practical application of what they talked about. They laid the theology, and then I am emphasizing practical application today. 
And I think that'll come through really clear. What I'm presenting here, it, we're going to be all over the Bible. I will, um, there's so much here that you don't need to try to take notes feverishly. You won't be able to stay up with me of all that I'm sharing today. Because much of what I'm sharing is just review, an overview and a summary of what Pastor Derek taught, the main points, and also what JR taught. Because it's vitally important. It's, it is worth repeating. It needs to be repeated. That's how we learn. We forget so quickly, don't we? What was the sermon about last week? Uh, well, you, well, I don't know. Were you here? Yeah. The front row. Well, what was it about? And we all get those cobwebs in our brain and the distractions from the world. That's why Peter said in his epistle, you know, folks, I've, I've told you this repeatedly, and I'm going to tell you again because we all need reminders. And the apostle Paul, the pastor, Pastor Paul did the same thing. He'd pastor a church, he'd plant a church, he'd pastor a church, he'd shepherd them, he'd teach for a year and a half, three years, then he leaves, and then he sends a letter and says, oh, by the way, I need to remind you again of the basics of the gospel, of justification by faith, of why you shouldn't fight and sue one another, like basics. I need to remind, we all need these reminders. So on this topic, uh, in what I'm presenting, if you think, oh, I've heard this before, that's good. But that hasn't been the case for everybody because in the last two weeks, based on JR's sermon and Derek's sermon, I've actually talked to people. They've given me feedback. Several said, boy, that was new stuff. I didn't know this. I haven't learned this. I haven't been taught this. It's like, amen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad we're doing it. We have got to be on the same page on this issue of biblical stewardship. So let me give you a definition of biblical stewardship. Like I said, this isn't the Bible, what the Bible says about money. This is what the Bible says about stewardship. I remember, I didn't know what the word stewardship was until I was 20 years old, my sophomore year at a Christian college. And the, the word in a philosophy class and the word stewardship came up and there was a discussion and I was a brand new Christian. I had no idea what they were talking about. Stewardship, I didn't understand. I didn't know what it was. It was not a part of my worldview, my vocabulary. And then my roommate later had to explain it to me. He, was, he grew up in a Christian home. I did not. And it took me a while to wrap my brain around it. What stewardship? Some of you today might be in that position when I say biblical stewardship, and you saw that as the title of the sermon. Who knows what you were thinking? If I were to go around and ask you, what do you think this sermon is going to be about? Biblical stewardship. I probably would have got answers all over the map if you were like me. So let me just give you a basic biblical definition of what stewardship is. The word steward and stewardship is used in the Bible, in the New Testament. Actually, it's used in the whole Bible. But in the New Testament, the Greek word, very specific, and it's translated as steward, manager, governor. Those are the three main words. And it's all translating one word. I think a good word is a manager. That's what stewardship is, biblical management. So from a, a biblical point of view, a steward is someone who is entrusted valuable goods by someone else, by the owner. It's always the owner. An owner who has a precious commodity and he entrusts it to your care. Take care of this. I'm leaving for a week. I need somebody to house sit my dog. My dog is my fifth best friend in life. Take care of my dog. When I come back, hopefully you took care of my dog. That, that is stewardship. 
caring for somebody's valuables. So in the New Testament, the context, God is the one who owns everything. He entrusts certain things to our care. Therefore, we are, if you're a Christian, you're a steward. You're a steward of valuable things that God has entrusted to your care. So it's not yours. It's not mine. It is his. And from his point of view, it is valuable. And we are supposed to care for it, protect it, invest it wisely. It's a temporary time period. We're allowed to take care of it. The owner will come back and give an accounting. And we have to give an accounting of how we either took care of it or neglected to take care of that precious commodity that belonged to God. And according to the Bible, we will eventually in the next life, we will be judged by God on what kind of stewards we were of his precious valuables that he entrusted to our care. That's the doctrine or the theology of biblical rewards and loss of rewards. So that is biblical stewardship. One of the most precious commodities that God has entrusted to our care here in the human race is children. That's Psalm 127, literally saying that children are a stewardship responsibility from God. We have to give an account for that. So actually in the New Testament, uh, there are four basic uh, categories of stewardship care that we have to provide for that God gives us. He gives us authority. That's a stewardship responsibility. Authority. Whether you're a parent, a pastor, a 13-year-old babysitter of the night of your three-year-old brother, you've been entrusted with authority. That's in the Bible. God also entrusts us to be stewards with uh, responsibility over truth he has given us. Paul said he was a steward of biblical truth. So are we. And then also we are to be faithful stewards over spiritual gifts and talents that God has entrusted to our care. Those are the three main ones. And then over the years, the Christian world and the Christian church has summarized these main categories of stewardship under the three T words. This is familiar to some of you. It's, I'm not going to improve on it because I think they're great. When we're talking about biblical stewardship, we're talking about how are we faithful as Christians in these three areas? With my time, my talents, and my treasures. We're accountable in all three areas. Time, it's a valuable commodity. Sometimes we hoard it and sometimes we don't want to give it up and many times we're selfish with it and many times uh, we use it for the good of others in worship of God and service to others. So that's time, very important. The other one is just talents where you have either natural gifts or spiritual gifts that God has given you and those are kind of specialized gifts that you use to really meet a need of somebody in the body of Christ in a way that blesses them and edifies the church. That happened to me yesterday. Going to Honduras, and now that there's the COVID thing, you gotta do, you got to jump through more hoops to travel. So there was a new application that I had to fill out online, and it was in Espanol. And mi Espanol, muy, muy malo. Very bad. I couldn't read it. So I was in trouble. What am I going to do? Um, I don't have the gift of tongues. That was a legit gift. That was a legit gift in the Bible. So I just thought of some of our blessed members. And so I started contacting some of our members who knew Espanol. And a dear, uh, some of our members, they decided, in the middle of the day, that's time. They said, oh man, we'll be right there, Pastor. And they came over and they walked me through it in less than 20 minutes and got it all done. So thank you. They, they were contributing to the ministry. So they were using time as faithful stewards. 
and also their talent, a very specialized ability that God has given to them to help and edify the church. So they utilize two of those categories, time, talents. I could have charged them a $50 fee for helping me so that they would have been investing in treasures too. But I thought, wait, no, actually I should be paying them. Oh, well, figured that one out. So we're talking, so that's what we're talking about. Time, talents, and treasures. Um, by the way, as I listened to, uh, I had no idea what J.R. and Derek were going to preach on or say. And I listened to their sermons three times. I, just so you know, I agreed with everything they said. I did. Which actually didn't surprise me. Because they're teaching from the Bible. God is not inconsistent with himself. So that was really encouraging. Um, and then my job today, like I said, is to give practical application. But I need to add a footnote to that, just so you know, to set the context. Not only am I talking about practical application, I'm talking about very specific practical application today. Very specific. Actually, personal practical. By personal, I mean family. In terms of local church family. So today, I, I don't know if I can be more emphatic, but really today I am talking to our church family, our local church members. That's what I'm talking today primarily. Creekside Bible Church members. This is for you. It is for me. That is the audience, the intended audience, because that's how personal I'm going to get and how practical. And I need to do that. We need to do that. This is a, local, this is a church family. So if you're not a member here today, you don't need to feel bad. You are welcome. 1 Corinthians 14 says, visitors are welcome. Um, Acts chapter 5 says, visitors and even spectators from outside are welcome to eavesdrop in on the conversation when we have to do family business in the local church. But that's what we're doing today. So uh, if you're not a member, uh, you can listen in and maybe be edified and learn and be blessed and take notes. That's fantastic. But again, just keep in mind, I'm talking to members of the church today. And there are reasons that's important. Because I'm only speaking to members, there are things I don't have to say. I don't have to keep qualifying myself and making exceptions when I make a point. Like, well, what about this exception? What about, no, we're talking about, we are assuming what the Bible says to be true. So because I'm talking to members today, there are two main uh, areas of to take note of is that I'm not going to be giving a lot of caveats. And what I'm saying, I'm assuming that we are all agreed to. Because if you're a member of this church, Creekside Bible Church, uh, we have a membership covenant. There's four points. One of the points of the membership, basic membership covenant of this church that we have unity around, we've already agreed to, there's no debate about it, is that every member of this church has agreed that giving and stewardship is a basic biblical Christian discipline. That is not up for debate. We know that. We believe that. It is important to God. And we have committed to being faithful in that area. So this is a reminder of that, the most fundamental level. Now, there might be people out there in YouTube land. By the way, the only reason we are live streaming is because COVID happened. Prior to that, we weren't doing it. And we are doing live stream to primarily continue to minister to our members who are at home and have to be at home because of health and other risks. I am not interested in a national ministry or an international ministry. So even those out on live stream today, 
you are welcome to be a spectator and eavesdrop and listen in, but primarily, again, we are talking to our members. We have already agreed to these most fundamental principles about what the Bible has to say about stewardship. So with that said, uh, let's just go on to the meat of what I wanted to say today. I'm going to start by just briefly reviewing the theological foundation that Derek and J.R. laid down. And some of these are just going to be bullet point statements. You don't need to write them down because there's too many. If you want them, go back and just listen to the sermons because this is what this comes from. Some of them will have a Bible verse 4, but some I won't because it, it just comes right out of the Bible. All these following points that are going to lay the foundation for us. So, uh, stewardship is a basic Christian discipline. Derek said that emphatically, and he showed why from Scripture that was true. Stewardship is a basic Christian discipline. And in light of that, we have a broad range of understanding and maturity in our local church among our members on that topic. Very broad range. We have those who are seasoned in the faith, been walking for God. They understand this. They know this. They've been practicing this as a discipline for decades, and they live their life accordingly. They are exemplary. They are model. And I thank God some of those people are in this church. Then there are others on the other end of the spectrum, uh, relatively new, relatively new members, maybe relatively new believers, and they, don't, they were not raised with a biblical Christian worldview. And they don't know everything yet that they need to know from the Bible on stewardship. I understand that. So we're just trying to lay the foundation so that we can all have a, a united and harmonious view of these issues. But stewardship is a basic Christian discipline. I think about when I first, I did not grow up in a Bible-believing home. Never read the Bible. I wasn't taught the Bible. I was taught religion. I was taught false religion. But then I became a Christian at age 19, and then immediately people started discipling me. And I remember when formally I started getting some training from good churches and Bible teachers on stewardship and how to handle money and God's view of money. And I was, it rocked my world. I was like, man, I have never heard this. I had to do a 180. Like, well, how did I miss out on all this? Well, you missed out because it's the biblical worldview. And I wasn't raised with a biblical worldview. It sounded completely foreign and strange to me, but because I was a Christian, I knew it was true. But it was definitely foreign. So today, as I'm going through the basic, fundamental, biblical view of stewardship, if any of this sounds weird, odd, foreign, different, bothersome, offensive to you, take note. Yellow flag. Whatever that issue of concern is, maybe that's a place where you've got to do more investigation, study of God's word, or ask legitimate questions about it. But it's, that's not a bad sign, because we're all learning together. So I, I just remember how God used uh, significant people in my life to, to teach me in this area. And there are things that I, I never forgot. Uh, in the first year of being a Christian, learning about giving and being a faithful steward of money, because that was not modeled to me growing up. But I knew, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, and now I've got to be faithful to everything God's entrusted to my care, including money. And there were just a couple of principles that a faithful pastor taught. One was, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. That is so true. Then the other one was just the illustration of C.S. Lewis that, the, that he gave. How he, he was leading just a little biographical vignette of C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian literary writer, scholar. 
who was a generous man, apparently, and a Christian. And the story that was told was that C.S. Lewis was committed to giving more of his money away than he took in. So he'd take in money, but he'd give more of it away than he would keep. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's uh, what I was told at the time. And I just thought, boy, that's, that's interesting. That's a walk of faith. And I believe the Bible supports such a notion. So those are kind of introductory comments. But now, now to the formal statements. Here we go. From the Bible, to lay the foundation. This is going to be particularly helpful for anybody who wasn't here last week or the last three weeks. Uh, number one, God owns everything. Exodus 19.5, God said, all the earth is mine. That's foundational to everything. God owns everything. Number two, God does not need your money. Acts 17.25, God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need anything. Because he is... Uh, completely sufficient as the creator because he does own everything. So he doesn't need our money. Next one, number three. God is the greatest giver. God is the greatest giver. Actually, do you know that's part of his name? Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh, the one who gives. That's where the model is. We're made in God's image. When we're born again, we're recreated in the image of Christ. We're supposed to be like God. God is the giver. We should be giving, giving people by nature as Christians and being Christ-like. Number four, money is not evil. People misquote that verse in 1 Timothy 6 all the time. Money is not evil. Money is completely neutral. You can do good things with it. You can do bad things with it. To have a lot of it is not inherently evil. Money is not evil. The love of money is the source of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. Number five, God gives the power to make wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18. Derek talked at length about that. God gives the power to make wealth. If you make a, a five bucks mowing the lawn as a teenager, or gazillions of dollars at a tech company, ultimately you weren't the one that did it. God, God did it. He's the provider. He put you in a position to do that. He gave you everything you need, all the prerequisites to make that happen. Very important principle. God gives the power to make wealth. That'll humble you in a second if you meditate on that verse. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 18. Number six, everyone needs and uses money. Everybody, every human being uses money on this earth. You can't get around it. People who say they take a vow of poverty for religious purposes, they're lying. Examine their life. Look at their wardrobe, their garb, the building they live in, the cars they drive, the jet airplanes they fly all over the world. Not a vow of poverty. You need money. Jesus, that was a one of the principles Jesus made very clear. Render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. What was he saying? That's money. We've got to function on money. The government has to function on money. Your family. So this is a commodity that God has just issued. This is how the human race is going to function and get along, and they need to use this. Uh, number seven, rich people are not stingy necessarily. Rich people are not stingy necessarily, but the Bible says sinful people are stingy. It's real simple. Some rich people can be stingy. Some of the most stingiest people I've ever met are poor people. So that's a false distinction. Look down. This class warfare over money in our country and world history, it's of the devil. It's from the pit. It's a, a false diagnosis. God knows the heart. Man looks at the outside, says the book of Samuel. Shallow assessment. Uh, number eight, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. 
whatever form that takes. You give money to the church and you do it with the right attitude, that's an act of worship. We give praise to God. The scripture tells us to give praise to God. Giving is an action. And done in the right way, it is a pleasing way to worship the Lord. Number nine, giving is not just about money. It's about time, service, and resources. So when we're talking about uh, your responsibility to give to your local church, it's not just about the amount you gave or giving money. It's what about your time and your resources and your talents? The translation into Spanish yesterday was just as valuable as any money. I mean, people get, they could have given, hey, can you translate the Spanish for me so I can fly to Honduras? No, but I'll give you 5,000 bucks. I don't want the $5,000. I want you to translate for me. So that was actually more valuable. Number 10, giving doesn't save you. Earn you favor from God, meaning giving it to the church, giving money to the church or a ministry. It doesn't save you. It doesn't earn any favor from God for you. It doesn't uh, obligate God to you that he has to do something on your behalf. We don't manipulate God through money, as we're so frequently taught, typically by the health and wealth prosperity false teachers on television. That's heresy. That's false, damning, dangerous teaching. Uh, number 11, giving is commanded by God. It's a command. If it's a command by God, well, it's in the Bible. It's all over the place. How about this verse? Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give. How's that? That's a command. It's an imperative. It's an obligation. It's a responsibility. He wasn't shy about it. He wasn't apologizing for it. He wasn't watering it down. Give. Here are the conditions. Here's the right heart attitude to do it. And if you do it the right way, you will be blessed. That's what Jesus said in Luke 6, 38. He gave the proper balance. It is a command from God. Number 12. Oh, and what I was going to say on that, give is a command. Um, there are kind of three categories of people in evangelical church, or just churches abroad, typically, at least that I find, when it comes to money. Some Christians, who call themselves Christians, say uh, that you shouldn't talk about money in church ever or from the pulpit. That's a wrong view. That's an extreme view, and that's a wrong view. Then there's the other extreme, who those Christians who just want to talk about money all the time. Money, 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 by the pound. And they, uh, they make it a priority and over-spiritualize it. That's all they want to talk about. Like I said, we see them on TV all the time. That is also wrong. Then there's another category of people who just think that talking about money is not a spiritual issue, so it's really not that important. It's third-tier, tertiary. That's not true either. You go through the Gospels and mark down every time Jesus made an allusion to money or stewardship, you'd be surprised how frequently he did. Because it's something that everybody in the world relates to. It's a commonality, so it is absolutely important, and that's why we're talking about it from God's Word. Uh, number 12, we will be judged on how we gave. We'll be judged on our stewardship. The Bible says that's very clear. We'll be if you're a Christian, you will be judged by Christ at the throne of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged by everything that we did in the body, which most of that has to do with our stewardship responsibility as a Christian. What did we do with our time, our treasures, and our talents? And we will be rewarded by the Lord Jesus Christ accordingly, either blessed with many rewards or loss of reward. Not loss of salvation, not loss of forgiveness of sin, but loss of reward in heaven. There will be various categories in a hierarchy of war, uh, rewards and blessings in heaven. We'll be judged on our stewardship. Number 13, God does not say how much a Christian should give. It's not 
Tithing is not a New Testament word. Tithe means 10%. Just try to get that out of your brain. Derek tried. He kept repeating it. I, I, I give 10%. Well, then you're... And I only give 10%. Well, then you're a legalist. It's not in the New Testament. So that was exhausted by Derek from how we are to give. God's looking for something. You, maybe you have the ability to give 27%. Why are you only giving 10? You're stingy. Maybe God's only put you in a position where you could give 3% and you do it with the right heart attitude. And God, he loves that. He will bless that. He'll multiply that. And it's about the heart, not externals. Um, number 14, giving is an expression of thanks. Because it's a, an act of worship. Number 15, giving is an expression of love. Giving. Who's the greatest example of that? God himself. God so loved the world that he... Got the warm fuzzies? No. God so loved the world that he gave. That verse says it better than anything else. God so loved that he gave. Giving is a tangible expression of biblical love. That's why when you like someone or love someone, you have joy in giving them something, right? So it is an expression of love. Number 16, giving is an expression of compassion as well. Compassion in the New Testament means to hurt in your gut, in your bowel. You suffer, you literally hurt in your gut for someone else that you see has a need. They are suffering. They are in pain. They are in anguish, and you hurt with them. And many times you can alleviate their need by giving to them. So giving could be an expression of compassion, of loving someone else in that way. Number 17, giving biblically pleases God. God loves a cheerful giver. He said in Corinthians, God loves a cheerful giver. That means when you have the right heart attitude and you just find joy in giving. Number 18, God blesses biblical giving. Luke 6, 38, Jesus said that, give, and if you do... Boy, uh, there will be many blessings that come with that. And then Derek talked about that other passage in Luke where Jesus made a promise. If you give and you're a faithful giver and a biblical giver, then God promised he's going to take care of you in many different ways. Tangible ways, spiritual ways. Proverbs 3.10 says the same thing. It's all over the Bible. It's more blessed to give than receive, said Jesus. Number 19, believers should give responsibility. Give responsibly. So basically, as far as the hard attitude about giving... I came up with six key words that should guide all of our giving and make us uh, balanced in all of our giving. And the six words are that a Christian should give responsibly, freely, generously, sacrificially, joyfully, and regularly. That's really what it comes down to. The first one, all believers should be, give, be giving responsibly. That includes a lot of things. What does it mean to be a responsible giver? Uh, giving biblically. In accord with scripture, giving wisely, giving in a discerning way. God doesn't want you giving willy-nilly all over the place to everybody that sticks out their hand. Jesus didn't give to everybody that sticks out their hand. Paul didn't. you got to give biblically, responsibly. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Somebody going around being a beggar, and they are of able mind and body, and they're able to work, and they're just going around begging people for money. Paul said, you don't work, you don't eat. Don't give to that person. You'll aid and abet their irresponsible behavior. Don't do that. So responsible giving. Free giving, give freely, that means not legalistically. 
You're not bent out of shape of thinking through, oh, okay, uh, I got to check this box and fill this. No, just freely. Freely you have received, freely give. And then generously, sacrificially, joyfully, and regularly. Number 20, if you bring in income, then give. Proverbs 3.10. Derek went over that one as well. If you take in an income, then give from it. 21, if you are married, then the two of you together should give as one. If, if there are two believers, if you have an equally yoked marriage as husband and wife, then when you do give to the church, you are giving to God, and you're giving together. And it doesn't matter who's making what money. Maybe the wife isn't working, and she's taking care of all the kids, or she's just home, and she's not working, bringing in money. She is working. And the husband's making all the money. But when the two of you give, you're giving as one. You are one. Your money is one. You're one in every way. Uh, number 22, the elders and the deacons of the church, as well as the leaders and the staff, should be exemplary or model in giving. Otherwise, you shouldn't be in that position. And we have to hold each other accountable. We all have slip-ups. And we need to hold each other accountable. Uh, number 23, you must take care of your church ministers. This was JR's message. Those who work at the church, uh, those who work primarily in the area of pastoral shepherding ministry, whatever the title might be, shepherd, elder, pastor, minister, and that was Galatians 6.6. 6. The, the one who is taught the word, if you go to a church and you're a member of a church and you're taught the Bible, that's you. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. We got to pay our shepherds. We got to pay our ministers. Especially if they're giving full time to the ministry. 24. Uh, and the shepherds at the church, particularly those who elders who rule well and minister in word and doctrine, says they should receive double honor. And J.R. clarified what that meant. 1 Timothy 5.17. They should receive double honor. That mean, doesn't mean necessarily double pay that everybody else makes. But there's a, it's a special category of respect. You need to take care of all their needs. Which means you got to get to know them. Where are you, do you, is there an area of deficiency that you have? Is there some, a need that's not being met or you're not being taken care of? A lot of times, uh, conscientious pastors, they, they don't want to answer those questions. They don't want to give up that information. They don't want people to know. They don't want uh, the people to be burdened by their needs. It doesn't matter. We've got to take care of them. Number 25, um, our full-time ministers should be laboring fully in the ministry. That's what Paul said to Timothy. Immerse yourself in these things. Literally, be absorbed in these things. Give yourself fully to the ministry, Timothy. Well, Timothy couldn't give himself fully to the ministry if he wasn't being supported by the people. And we live in one of the most expensive areas here in America. We know that. It's tough for everybody. And it's tough for churches. I know, church, I know a lot of churches, they can't get a pastor to come in this area because it's too expensive. But this has been a generous church, and we've got to keep taking care of our people, making sure that we're meeting these biblical mandates. Now, regarding our full-time, I'm only talking about our full-time pastors, elders, uh, staff, ministers here that are full-time that work here. You know who they are. I don't need to say their names. And this would be including me. Do you know that every one of us, this isn't our only job. We are full-time here. We're given to shepherding here at CBC. I would say that every one of the ministers here at this church is on call 
we are willing, we do take phone calls for everything in emergencies and get in our car and go at a moment's notice. Every single one of the, the men in that category at this church does that and is willing to do it and does it with joy because that's the calling. And they are a full-time here at the church in terms of their pay as staff guys, but every single one of them has a side job. Many of you don't know that. Every one of them, a side job, sometimes two. Why? To live and survive. From paycheck to paycheck. That's how it is, number one, in this area. That's how it is just the nature of working in the church, usually a nonprofit organization, as opposed to a profit organization, like Google, profit I've been in nonprofit ministry for 32 years. I don't even know what profit ministry, I mean, what profit business is or what it would be like. Making a profit? Really? Wow. What is that like? But that's not my calling or what God had gifted me to do, along with my family and my wife, is to serve in ministry and just trust the Lord. And we've had, just like Paul said, I've learned to live in times of plenty and in times of want. But if you know you're in God's will, then you are completely content. You know he's going to provide. And I, just, I remember years ago, 20 years ago, I was a full-time pastor elder, but I had to get a side job. And it was a paper route to survive. It wasn't in California. But I, just, I wasn't making enough money. My wife had three kids. So I got a paper route. Get, get a few hours of sleep, then get up at 2 in the morning go fold those newspapers, load them in my car, and go deliver them, and I get home about 6.30, then, I have to, then I'd have to go to work all day. Come home, maybe get three or four hours of sleep. Did that for a couple of years. The elders found out about it. They were not happy. How much are they paying at the newspaper joint? This much. I got a raise. I didn't even ask for it. Quit that paper route. Anyway, true story. So that would just be letting you pull in the curtain behind the scenes so you can be aware and start thinking of your pastors and your shepherds in a different way that you hadn't before. What's my side job? You got another job, Pastor Clip? Yeah, I do. Part-time job. It's at the seminary. I've had several. Painting gigs behind the scenes, painting houses, uh, coaching sports. Some of those I got paid for. Uh, but I've been doing the seminary uh, position longer than I was pastor at Grace Bible Fellowship. And I just continued to do that, but that was part-time. And they do pay me. And it helps. But Paul did that. He was the model. The apostles did that. You do what you got to do. God will bless and provide. But just be aware of that on behalf of your shepherds as you pray for them. All right, here we go. Now I want to do some diagnostic questions for our members. Now remember, those of you who are not members, this is not for you. But you can take the diagnostic quiz and see how you do. But this is primarily our members in light of the membership covenant of what we have mutually agreed to. So let me give you these diagnostic questions. A diagnostic question is a, just a real simple, basic question to kind of diagnose where you are based on a certain standard or scale. And it's, it is designed to expose basic weaknesses or confirm good practices. And they're simple. These are all yes and no questions. And I'll ask you 13 of them. And you want the answer yes. If you have to say, just be honest with yourself. Now, this is in the Bible. Paul said several times, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And there are other areas where he said, examine yourself. Be mindful of yourself. We have to do that. This is a command. So it doesn't matter if you're a member, non-member out there in YouTube land. If you're a Christian and you know God, 
This is practical application of several commands in the Bible to examine yourself. Because if you're in YouTube land and maybe you're a member of another church, then you can apply this to your local church if this is not your home church. So it's still a benefit to you. So here's the 13 diagnostic questions. Do this in your own heart, your own mind. If you want to write down your answers on your own piece of paper, that's good. That's fine. Uh, but here we go. Uh, diagnostic questions. Number one, in the last 18 months, so this is a big chunk of COVID. This is 14 months out of COVID. In the last 18 months, have you ever attended one of our work days or service days here at the church? We've had a gazillion. We've been working on the property. If you're a member, again, if you're a member of CBC in 18 months, have you ever even attended one work day or service? Just one? They're not always on Saturday. Some, some of our members actually couldn't make Saturdays, and they just came during the week. They called, hey, Pastor Cliff, can I come and do anything? Can I come and clean? Yeah, absolutely. Came on a Thursday. Excellent. Others came at different times of the week. But my question is, oh, and he, by the way, in the past 18 months, have you attended any of our work days? You might be thinking, maybe you have excuses. You know, that's between you and God. But if you're a member, it's worth asking. If the answer is no, no, I have not. I'm a member of this church and I haven't been one time to a service day at my local church in 18 months. And I'm asking that question because even if you're 74 years old, that's not an excuse. How do I know? Because we had a 74 year old come in and serve. You know, I can hold a broom. I can serve coffee to all the workers. And we had several people in that category. They didn't care about their age or what they couldn't do. And there are others even who maybe physically can't, and maybe can I pray? You've been praying diligently for the service days. That's a ministry. That's legitimate. What have you done for the last 18 months? Well, actually, I was praying on that Saturday for that service day. Thank you. That's just as valuable. So you can be creative in a lot of different ways to proactively serve. By the way, uh, I'm pretty close to seeing all the work that's been done. I'd say over the last 18 months, our, mem our church members and even some of the non-members regular tenders have actually served and contributed as well, which is kind of puts our members to shame who haven't. We have done probably easily over $400,000, if not a half a million dollars of labor on this church by our members doing demolition, ripping out the carpet, putting in the floor, uh, filling in nail holes with caulking. I could go on and on. Uh, the stones put out in the front. Can you, a half a million dollars worth of work, the, 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 the wiring through most of these buildings, the cameras that were put up. A, a lot of that was done by our saints. And if uh, we, so I just thank God for those wonderful servants. Uh, number two, have you ever given to the Benevolence Fund if you're a member? If you're a member, if you've been a member, if you've become a member in the last five months, I'll give you a pass. But if you've been a member of CBC for uh, eight months or longer, have you ever given at least one time to the Benevolence Fund? That is if you have an income, if you, if you draw an income. If you're a starving, poor college student and you don't have a job or income, you are exempt. But if you get any kind of income whatsoever, have you given to the Benevolence Fund? Number three, do you give something to God or the church, your local church, CBC, from every paycheck that you make on a regular basis? And I mean from every direct deposit that goes in, how much did you give to God from your COVID direct deposit, your unemployment check, the cash you got from the grandparents at Christmas, the cash you got from your relatives at graduation, the money you got back from your tax return? That's what I'm talking about. Number four, have you given personally to anyone on our full-time staff anything ever? 
not, and I'm not just talking about money. I think about one of our members routinely gives me either a Snickers bar or a Cliff bar, peanut butter flavored, <laughs> any occasion they can, because that's all they can give. I'm just like, how sweet is that? That's worth about $10,000 to keep the sweet tooth ministry going. Thank you. That's what I'm talking it's, it's the heart of giving is what we're getting at. Personal attention and care. A gift card to someone. Or maybe just a handwritten card. I'm praying for you, especially those suffering loss. Number five, have you ever given to the pastoral housing fund if you're a member? If you've been a member here for more than four months and you have never given to the pastoral housing fund, that's for all of our pastors and ministers. Never? But you have an income? I don't get it. Many of you have. I'm going to get to that in a second. Number six, member, CBC member, have you ever prayed specifically for God to provide graciously for all of our pastors and ministers, if you have? Number seven, would your giving towards the church here at CBC and the pastors be characterized as double honor and generous, the way you give? Number eight, in the past two years, CBC member, has your giving to the church been characterized as regular, generous, and a priority? Yes or no? Number nine, CBC member, have you ever given towards one of the missions trips, be it Mexico, India, Ghana, Honduras? Number 10, CBC member, do you regularly give to people at CBC on special occasions? I'm not talking about the staff. I'm just talking about fellow members. Birthday gifts, Christmas cards, uh, times of loss. Do you ever reach out and give to them? Number 11, CBC member, is one of your main goals for making money, having the ability to give some away? Let me say that again. What is the purpose of making money? Well, what's the purpose of work? Well, it's to make money or a commodity or a provision. Then the next question is, what is the purpose of making money? What is the, I want you to think about that. Give an answer in your head. What is the purpose of making money? You know what the world would say? Uh, to pay the bills, to go on vacation, to lavish myself, to invest it, to save it, whatever. Those, some of the, most of those are legit. They're missing a key one. According to God, and part of the biblical worldview, one of the main reasons for making money, according to Paul in Ephesians 4.28, he says, let the thief steal no more. Quit stealing money. Quit being lazy. He's talking to Christians, by the way. Let him who steals steal no more, but rather work Hard. The Greek word there is copious. Grueling. Blood, sweat, and tears. Labor. Don't be afraid of work. Work hard if you are able-bodied. And, and then he uses another word for work, uh, ergonomics. And as such, working ergonomics with your hand, with your own hands, make money. Hina, for the purpose of, make money for the purpose of sharing it with someone else who has a need. That is a basic purpose for making money from a Christian worldview. Why do you make money? Uh, to pay the bills, to give to God and his church and the ministry, and just as equally important is to give to those around me who are in need. That should be literally a plank in your frame of mind with respect to why you make money and what you're going to do with it. Thank you, Paul, for the reminder. Um, 
Number 12. Oh, do you? Yeah, number 12. Do you have an easy time sharing stuff? Yes or no? Do you have an easy time sharing stuff? I don't know if you've seen that great commercial. You're not supposed to watch television, but anyway, that great commercial. I can't even know who it was. But it's these two little girls, uh, and they're doing a sharing experiment. You like chocolate or whatever. And one of the sisters is really good at sharing. And she gives it to her sister. And the other sister, she is not good at sharing. And she just gobbles it all up. And that just shows you their nature. Do you have an easy time sharing? Are you, or are you tight-fisted and stingy and conservative? Code for stingy. Number 13, can you see the blessing of God in your life for being a faithful biblical steward? Because Jesus promised that. You got the right attitude and you give biblically. Jesus promised he will bless you. Do you see that blessing in your life? That Basically, that means his ongoing provision for your needs in life and contentment that goes along with it. It's a good sign of God's blessing. All right, now I got to share some thank yous. Here's my thank yous. And again, this is specifically to CBC members at this church. Going back to 1958, when this church started about that time. Number one, thank you to the faithful, generous saints of First Baptist Church of Cupertino since 1958 for good stewardship, saving, and not being in debt. Look, I, we need to hear it for those people. For decades. Being faithful that enabled us to do so many different things we can do today, like refurbishing this entire facility. We are indebted to those people. Number two, thank you to all you members who give regularly to the church from the first of your income, and you do it on a regular basis. Thank you for that. Number three, thank you to all you members, CBC members, who give over and above the regular offering to special ministries and missions needs as they arise. And several of you do that. It's incredibly gracious. Thank you. Number four. Uh, specifically, thanks to all of you who have given to the missions in the past, from Mexico missions to India missions to Ghana to Ukraine. Uh, just Pastor Bob put a list together. Do you know that this church, uh, over the course of the last few years, we have given enough money, this church body, to build an orphanage in India, to build a widow's home in India, and to build a home for the elderly in India, to buy a rice field in India for these people, to provide shepherds' conferences for 140 pastors in India and on a car for one of our key pastors in India. Thank you for your generosity. It's awesome. Number five, thanks to all of you who have given to the Benevolence Fund at least one time. Next one, thank you members. Thanks to all of you who have been to a service day in the past 18 months. Thanks to all of you CBC members who have donated resources for the ministry here at this church. We've got large screen televisions right now in some of our rooms for Sunday school class and for outside venue for COVID. Those were, many of those were given as a gift to our church from member or members of our church. What a blessing. The video equipment we use for live streaming, a lot of that was given as a gift to our church by some of our members. Thank you. Number eight, thanks to all the faithful, generous GBF givers since 2006 when we planted the church. In 13 years as a church plant, we were never in debt. I can't, that's amazing. Never. When we merged with this church, this church was not in debt either. Uh, thanks to all of you who have given recently to the building fund over $200,000 in a short period of time. Our goal is $350,000. We don't talk about money and giving. We don't have campaigns. 
capital campaigns hammering away time and time again, making you feel guilty each week, publishing it in the bulletin every week, hanging it over your head, asking non-members for money. We never ask non-members for money. We don't believe in that. Uh, thanks for giving to the pastoral fund. Some of you have, been, have given incredibly generously and regularly. So now I'm going to close with this. Um, be doers of the word. J.R. started this out by reading that passage from James, being doers of the word. So put, put biblical truth into action. I've actually had at times over the years, I preach a sermon and someone says, well, okay, what's the practical application of this? What do I do now? Well, number one, believe it. Number two, this is real practical. Just do it. So to help you along, I give you some suggestions. Again, CBC members of ways to put, be a doer of the word regarding stewardship and giving with respect to your time, your treasures, your talents. Some suggestions. Number one, with every paycheck or income, the first thing you do should be, thank you, Lord, for this income. Thank you for this COVID check. Thank you for the direct deposit I got. Thank you for my unemployment check. Thank you for uh, the check I got from where I work. Thank you for the $25 I got from Grandpa for Christmas. Thank you for the $1 that my parents gave me because I got an A- minus in math class. And on and on. You got income? Then you thank God for it because he's the one that gave it to you. Number two. When you get that income and after you thank Jesus for it, then you give from the top of that income, from the first of all your produce. That's Proverbs 3.10, from the first of all your income. Every time you take an income, the first thing you do, it's not, oh, i got to pay my bill. Oh, i got a debt. Oh, i got to bring that credit card down. Oh, I, no, you got the wrong frame of mind. Thank you, God. How can I give to you? Yeah, you got a big old credit card bill over here. Then give $1 to God first. One, $1. Really? He's looking for the right attitude, the right discipline. Number three, ask God for wisdom and his blessing before you do give. Because we do have a lot of bills and responsibilities. God wants you to be responsible. God, give me wisdom. Be in sync with your spouse if you're married. And ask God to lead you by biblical principles. Number four, give to your local church first. So that's why it's CBC members. Your, your members here, you should be giving. The elders here, one of our responsibilities, you know this. We want to shepherd you in every area of your life. We also want to help you with your stewardship responsibilities. So we actually look at your giving record to the church here. If you have an income, if you're a member. It's monitored. We are not looking for the amount that you give. Ever. It's the regularity of giving. The faithfulness of giving. Based on the regularity of your income. That's primarily what we're looking for. By the way, in the 15 years that I've been the teaching full-time pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship and now the church merge, I don't, I've never seen what people give, the amount. I don't see names and checks. I, that's from the very beginning. I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to see that. I want to help manage from 30,000 feet. I don't need to know the details. We need to get somebody else who's gifted and an accountable team of people down below doing that. So, we have, so we've always had one of our elders managing hands on the finances of the church, scrutinizing the budget. And one of our elders has always been assigned to monitor the giving of our members. And there are times where 
we see a pattern. Oh, wait a minute. They've been giving for six months and now they haven't been giving for four. What's going on there? So we need to talk to that member. And it's not to rebuke them. Sometimes it's, are you out of a job or do you need uh, help? Because your giving has tapered off in the last three months. And, and sometimes they say, yeah, I haven't had work in three months. Wow. Didn't know that. We need to help you from the benevolence fund. It's a shepherding tool. Then there are those members who have a job, gainfully employed, and they're giving all of a sudden, oh, oh, they haven't given. They were giving every month, and now it's been four months since they've been giving. Go talk to them. And they literally, honestly tell me to my face, oh, you know what, Pastor, thanks for talking to me. I neglected that. Uh, it was just kind of out of sight, out of mind. I was being lazy. I wasn't being disciplined. I had the wrong priorities. Thanks for uh, slapping me upside the head. I needed that. That's literally what one of our members said. Man, that was, that was cool. Very honest. A very humble Gracious attitude. So give to your local church first. Number five, uh, be ready to share with those in need, starting with the household of God. Says Galatians 6, give to the benevolence fund. Number six, pray for the elders to be good stewards with their money, with the church's money. We need wisdom. We have seven elders. We need to be wise and united about that. I thank God for the elders that I serve with. Men of God, men of integrity, and men who want to do the will of God with God's money. Number seven, pray for each need as it arises and is announced from the pulpit. We got a missions coming up. We have a family in need. We have, we have a building fund right now that we never do building funds, but we want to finish this. It's such a blessing. We've already been blessed. Most of you have been blessed by all the renovations that have been done. And if you're a member and you've been blessed, you've sat in the sanctuary, you've been blessed somehow by what's been done in the building fund, and you haven't given and you have an income coming into the building fund, again, I don't understand that. Rectify that. Give a dollar towards the building fund. God will bless that. Uh, number eight, member, give once, at least one time to the benevolence fund if you've never done it, if you're a member. And again, it's not the amount. It's just what you're doing is, thank you, Lord, for what you've given to me. You've given me the power to make wealth so that I might be able to help others in need. And so I'm giving this $5 to the benevolent. We are going to be very deliberate in who we assist with that. And many people in our church have been blessed by the Benevolence Fund, and they thank you. Number nine, give once to the Pastoral Housing Fund if you never have, if you're a member. I already talked about how expensive it is to live here. Number 10, give at least one time to one of our missions if you haven't ever. One of the missions trips. Thank you to those of you who have over the years. Incredible. Number 11, give once to the building fund if you've never given. We mentioned earlier, we were asking for $350,000. Uh, over $200,000 has come in. I will tell you this insider information. You need to know this. Of the $200,000 that has come in that we've raised, it's, it's not the majority of our members. It's a minority of the members. Actually, probably a super minority. Some of our members have given a lot and a lot of our members have given nothing. You know, it would be a wonderful, blessed thing as uh, two elders and pastors. If Pastor Bob and I left for Honduras for two weeks, and then we came back, and, some, and one of the elders said, we raised the last $149,000 for the building so we can start building in May. Praise God. Hallelujah. And if you're a member and you haven't given yet even a dollar, then at a minimum, give a dollar towards the building fund. And just trust that God is going to bless and meet our need. I believe he will. And with that, so that's a lot of stuff to think about. And we just, uh, we want to honor God with all that he has blessed us with. So join with me now. and We're going to go to the Father in prayer. The great Jehovah Jireh, the God who is the ultimate provider. Father, we thank you for this. 
time today to worship with the saints, every person that you've brought onto our campus today, every person that is uh, maybe listening live stream. Thank you that we can go to the Word of God that never changes. Uh, the principles that you've given us, you want us to understand them. They, they're timeless. They are truth. They are from you. They give us stability in life. And there's joy and blessing when we follow your word, Lord, and obey and implement these truths. I thank you for that. Thank you for this local church, the dear blessed saints that you've added to our church body, the care and love that they have for one another that is so evident, the generous giving that has gone on for decades in this church by the people of God. We pray you continue to bless their sacrifice. Make our hearts continually tender towards you, soft and giving towards others, particularly those who have a legitimate need. We want to honor you in all things, and thank you for the reminder from your word that that is one of the ways that we can worship you is by our generous giving. And we do thank you for being our great provider and the greatest provision of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, because you loved sinners, you sent him to die in our place. We thank you that he absorbed your wrath, that he died on our behalf, and that he was risen from the dead to conquer death and sin on our behalf, and that we can have life in his name, by grace and through faith, all for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.